0: Hi everyone and welcome to this week's Strength in the Numbers. Now with finance professionals being told by our leaders to be more like consultants, you know, where should we start on such a request or journey? So rather than guess an answer, why not invite an expert guest mentor onto our show? So I had a brilliant opportunity to interview the highly in-demand Rakesh Sangani, who's the CEO and founder of Partner. And in this episode, Rakesh helps us deconstruct what Practitioner-led consulting looks like, you know, he addresses the bad reputation that some consultants have and actually outlines three ways as finance professionals. We can do it better. There's a reason why I get on so well with Rakesh on the episode and also why he's in such high demand across uh, many conferences and speaking events in finance in the US, Europe and in Asia, because we, we go on to deconstruct things like the concept of a low cost, quick and dirty experimentation approach finance professionals and also the importance of overcoming our fear of getting things wrong why it's actually easy for us to be cynical of the digitalization that's coming into finance and how to actually successfully bring it in on board and also six questions on how to operationalize a more useful vision for finance so we have meaningful careers and remain relevant within our organizations so look hope you enjoyed this episode if you did please check out our timestamp show notes key quotes resources and ways to connect with rakesh at sitnshow.com and look really appreciate you investing your time with us today and if you enjoyed the show please let your friends and colleagues know about it run all the major platforms they can subscribe at itunes stitcher soundcloud and youtube and that's enough for me so without further ado over to rakesh and the show
1: so rakesh welcome to the show thank you andrew i'm really pleased to have been invited so um, really excited by this opportunity,
0: Rakesh. It's great to have you on. You're a guy who's very much in demand. I loved your listening to your presentations at the Future Finance Summit as well. So we've had a few occasions to chat previously, but our audience uh, could probably do with getting to know you a bit better first. So would you mind maybe sharing with us your story and your career in finance? Sure.
1: Um, so um, I've been on finance for quite some time. I started as an auditor um, with Arthur Anderson, who unfortunately are no longer with us. Um, So um, great uh, organization at the time, really enjoyed my time there. However, I probably didn't enjoy auditing as much as the other things within finance that you could do. So um, qualified as a chartered accountant and moved very quickly from audit into consulting. So worked throughout my career with the likes of Deloitte, then obviously I was missing the Anderson culture. So worked at Accenture uh, up to kind of senior executive, um, working within their BPO and shared services and finance transformation consulting and outsourcing practice. So after those experiences, I recognised that when I looked at the consulting market. There was a real gap. Um, there was lots of organizations that had a pyramid model for consulting where they were offering maybe people with less experience um, delivering finance practitioner-type services. And we felt there was a market where we could invert the pyramid and become more of a practitioner-led organization. So back in 2008, um, I founded Partner. Um, which was very much focused on being that practitioner-led pragmatic specialist consulting that we felt was missing in the marketplace at the time, uh, really to provide smaller teams focused advice to deliver on the what's needed within that area instead of throwing maybe 15 to 20 graduates at a problem. So it's a different way of looking at some of the problems that finance organizations face and really since, since 2008, where I guess we focused more on the people and process side of finance transformation, I think most recently in the last you know two to three years, especially our focus has been much more on digitalization. And you know, I've been working on a range of digital projects around bringing the finance function into the world of robotics, machine learning and artificial intelligence.
0: Look, uh, and and that's what really fascinated me about the presentation, Rakesh, that, that you were giving at the Future of Finance Summit. Um, now there's a few things in your journey I'd love to jump into. Uh, the first one is this sort of idea of practitioner-led, because I I think it's something close to my my heart, and the people I tend to to work with, is um, and I also like the fact you inverted the pyramid. I I I did that in my in my book because I thought it's just a different way of looking at it, turning it upside down that traditional view right i mean you know how does how does that practitioner-led approach help the people you work with better because and the reason why i ask this is a lot of us are being told in finance be more like consultants you know but there's a certain type of consultant that probably we could do better in finance than than sort of your traditional type so i'd love to understand this practitioner-led approach you take a bit better
1: yeah i think it's really important um so if I take a, a real-life example, you know, which I'm sure many of your listeners would have gone through, is something like process mapping, right? So um, if, you're, if you're carrying out process mapping to understand your finance processes better, one approach is, you know, bring in maybe one of the big four. And if you've got these uh, maybe graduates supporting this type of activity, they don't really understand the responses and they don't really understand the processes. So you end up actually um, in the improvement stage, maybe not getting A, all of the insight from the people that you're talking to, and B, all of the improvements that you could achieve. Now, I think it makes a, and and I think C, in addition to that, there's a credibility factor when um, it can be frustrating for the subject matter experts speaking to a, a consultant that doesn't really understand what they do. So I think there's certainly value in having someone with, you know, that finance background, that um, knowledge of um, how it works and so experience of the role that finance plays within an organization to support organizations in a different way. So again, if we take that process mapping, it's really being able to build the right relationship with the SME, so they open up instead of telling you, what they should be doing, they tell you what they actually are doing. It's um, <laughs> well, you know, a key a distinction. Uh, and in addition to that, I think it's also able to bring it to life with real world experiences and identifying improvements at a very pragmatic level. Um, so that's a great, that's a, just an example. And if you apply that, um, I think that applies across um, a range of different types of transformations that you could adopt. Um, to your point, is interesting. Finance people being told to act more as consultants. I think generally, consultants have a bad reputation. You know, you always hear the story around the consultant will look at your watch and tell you what time it is. Um, I, I think generally, uh, there's there's different types of consultants. There's the ones that uh, maybe just listen too much and play back what they're listening to. And just document that and show that to senior management. There's the other type who just have a boilerplate and drive you to that final answer and don't listen at all. And I think in reality, you need that balance of the two. And I think that's relevant for finance practitioners because I think when organizations say be more, as, more like a consultant, it's really around bringing in best practice, but also contextualizing it and listening to the environment and, and adapting it so that it works for that environment. And I would say that's where we play. Um, and I don't think you can achieve that with people who are just straight out of university, I'm afraid. So our model is we only hire people with a minimum of seven years to 10 years of finance experience.
0: Yeah, it, it does, you know, like uh, I'm sorry to say for our, our younger listeners or sort of newer into finance. It, it does take a period of time to get, to that sort of practitioner status, because unfortunately you have to sometimes make a few mistakes to to to, to learn what works and what doesn't. Uh, like, but Rakesh, like um, I think you know what you've given is really great advice for more of us uh, that are a bit more seasoned uh, in terms of how we go and uh, become more that practitioner type of consultant. And I really loved how you you gave the different uh, extremes that uh, we should uh, avoid and try and find somewhere in between. I suppose for our younger listeners, is there sort of any steps, constructive steps that would accelerate their journey to becoming better practitioner type consultants that you could recommend them follow? Yeah, I think
1: I think with the for the younger listeners, it, one is around experience. Certainly, I think experience counts for a lot, and take the opportunities to learn about new things. Um, so finance is undertaking so much change at the moment with, you know, the, the onset of robotics and automation and how that's changing finance with many companies already adopted lean and Six Sigma techniques, um, and with new skills being desired. I think there's lots of opportunities in finance. So I think for the younger listeners, I would say, don't be afraid to get involved in new things. Um, I think you can always look at something you've never done and be a little bit um, concerned or um, you know, almost scared around taking on something new. Um, and I think, I think especially for the younger listeners, um, you know, throw yourselves into those things because those skills that you could develop in areas that might be more niche in finance will be critical in the future.
0: Yeah, that's a very good point, actually. And and you did mention digitalization, uh, Rakesh. I, I have to say, I, I don't even know where to start that conversation because there just seems to be so much going on. Uh, like as someone like close to your, you know, similarly close to my heart was process and people. That's that's how I tended to work over the years. But in terms of now going forward, how do we get a handle on digitalization and, and more importantly, what's relevant and what's less relevant about it?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. So, I'm I'm I too, similar to yourself, I'm a people and process person. So, I have to say, this whole onset of digitalization I found fascinating. And I've gone through a bit of a journey myself. I was very cynical at the start, (laughs) uh, as I think many finance people are. You know, there's lots of talk around oh, we can automate the whole finance function through robots. You know, 35% of jobs in the UK will be lost to. Uh, robots in the next four years. And there was a lot of hype around the topic. And, and that really made me, uh, I think, quite resistant around it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but then I think um, after, you know, in the last three years, where I've really, I personally gained more and more experience than we have as an organization, you recognize that if leveraged in the right places, in the right ways, then you know, robotics, um, some of the machine learning stuff, some of the artificial intelligence out there um, is really impressive um, and it can provide real tangible value within the finance function. So I think mm-hmm. the problem we have today around digitalization is that there's just so much technology out there today. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, we have ERPs, uh, obviously, and some organizations want to just optimize their ERPs. We have process enabling technologies like high-radius, Bazware, Blackline, those types of tools um, which are kind of off-the-shelf tools that you could leverage. We have uh, macros that you could create at the other end of the spectrum. You've got robotics, you've got business process management um, technology, um, you've got machine learning, you have artificial intelligence. You have all of these different types of technology. and. I think as a finance user, it's really difficult to understand where you should start. Um, And I think that's where we come in because what we're trying to do is really demystify some of the um, BS from want of a better word around (laughs) space to become very practical around, well, if you're using OCR today, maybe you should look at a different tool because there's, there's artificial intelligence tools that increase your accuracy, Of OCR from what was historically maybe 70, 80% towards 95%. And if you're using, if you're doing lots of repetitive manual activities, maybe you should look at um, a robotic process automation solution. So, what we're trying to do is really demystify that stuff. So, it's very practical. Um, And I think it's also a change of how you bring on technology. I think growing up in finance functions, organisations would typically go through a assessment phase, a design phase, which could last mm-hmm. up to kind of six to nine months. Um, and I think that needs to change as well. And leading organisations today are doing more kind of proof of concepts. Well, they'll go through, uh, you know, eight to twelve week quick and dirty. Does this technology work in our organisation? And if it does, then to scale it up. And I mm. think that's also a change in some of the behaviours that finance functions have historically adopted and ways of working they've adopted, changing to meet this fast growing and fast changing digital world.
0: That that's very interesting, you know, these sort of eight to twelve week quick and dirties. Like are they like um I have to say i i can sort of picture it being done myself i mean do, do you think it's it's um it's becoming more standard practice or is it something that we should be embracing more of just to get a sense of whether these things work or not
1: yeah i think we should be well i wouldn't say standard practice yet i think we should definitely okay. be embracing um those types of concepts more and more it's the whole concept of experimentation So if you look at Facebook and Amazons um, of the world, they're running 50,000 experiments a day, um, trying out lots of different things because they see it as critical to their growth. And I think um, in in finance, sometimes we don't like to experiment because of the fear of getting things wrong. Yeah. So.
0: Oh, that is so true. <laughs> I'm glad I'm not the only person that feels like that, Rakesh. <laughs> I mean, it's like, you know, the business looks to us to be accurate, you know, and um, so, so failure doesn't really go, go, you know, come naturally to us. Exactly. But that's the case with experimentation. You win and you lose sometimes.
1: Yeah. And then that thing you have to have that mindset to begin with, which is okay, we're going to do this low cost, quick and dirty proof of concept. It may succeed, it may fail, but at least we'll know whether this technology fits our organization to solve a particular business problem. Um, But I I think think we see different types of organizations at the moment, some that are embracing that. I think they'll do very well, but some that are still very scared of failure and scared of doing a a proof of concept for a new technology and would rather go through that six- to nine-month assessment phase
0: yeah, well, actually, I, you know, I, I got to take encouragement from this thing I worked out the other day that, um, that uh, I looked at the time difference between the foundation of double entry bookkeeping to the evolution of spreadsheets, and then from the evolution of spreadsheets to robotic process automation, and I uncovered that we've moved from uh, from spreadsheets to robotic process automation in one twentieth the time it took us to move from double entry to spreadsheets. Excellent. So. Yeah, we're we're getting better. We're getting faster, but uh
1: <laughs> but we start from a low base.
0: <laughs> exactly what well I said. So there's no excuses for actually making some inroads here, right? We're starting from yeah. a low base and we can really make a difference by embracing some of the digitalization. Look, uh, Rakesh, I think that's fantastic advice. Um I suppose look, you you know the the clients, your customers you're working with have a number of different challenges, but um I guess what what's exciting you most about your current work?
1: Yeah, I think um, I think currently what's exciting me is you know we've been harking on around understanding why you exist as a finance function and having a clear strategy uh, for finance and you know, that that's one thing that's really exciting me in today's market we are seeing that resonate a lot more today uh, with organisations working out what type of finance function they need and whether they have you know the right skills. Whether they have the right organizational model, the right uh, operating framework, um, the right vision as well um, in order to kind of pull that together. So for me, uh, that, that's quite exciting work that we're doing really to help finance functions think of where they are now and where they want to be in the future
0: that's that's really in, that's really interesting because i've always had the sense of finance we're being quite reactive and like how much time are we really putting into thinking about being proactive and being strategic even though we the right thing and, and we probably end up advising the business to do this i mean it's about time we took some of our own medicine so so maybe what sort of uh things could could our audience uh, consider to to start maybe thinking of a better vision or a, a, a more right vision for for our existence to continue yeah, I think,
1: I think when we carry out this type of vision and strategy work, we're in essence asking six questions um, for the finance function. We're asking, you know, why does it exist? Uh, why does finance exist today? What is the purpose of finance? And that's a really important question, because um, if you don't answer that question, then the rest of the business is expecting the finance function to do a lot of things, they're expecting The finance function to be innovative, to have high internal customer satisfaction, to reduce cost, to have continuous improvement, to have the best processes, to have a great control environment, to standardize processes and ways of working, to have engaged people that want to work at the company and are really excited about those opportunities, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The demands of finance become a little bit unrealistic because suddenly you have to deliver on all of these things. So I think uh, more and more finance functions are realizing, okay, it's impossible to try and do everything. And what we need to do is prioritize. What we need to do is stand for something. Um, And that's, that's really the why is, are we the finance function that is going to be a business partner and provide strategic business value to the rest of the organization? Or are we the finance function that's just going to be performed at lowest cost? Um, and it's really understanding um, where finance plays in that spectrum. so that that why is important, and that's really the first element that we would go through. Um, and then supporting that why with a set of really clear objectives and measures of what does success look like? what does the success of the finance function look like? Um, and then also understanding your customers in finance um, so if we talk about business partnering, who, who are the customers? Uh, how do we, how do we negotiate ourselves around this organization that we sit in and make sure that, uh, finance is a valuable service. Um, um, so that how is, sorry, that who is really important and really, you know, understanding what is their perception today. So I don't know how many of your listeners have embarked on a, um a, a customer satisfaction survey to get the opinions of the stakeholders within the organization of how finance is performing but i think that's a very important thing to do to really get a view of whether our measure of good is consistent with what our internal customers think of us
0: 100% and
1: then the third component is kind of the what um we're big believers of having a very clear finance taxonomy so define finance in that you know, 120 odd processes that it stands for. So yeah, and then you've got, you've, because you have to answer these questions. You have to answer the question of, does payroll sit in finance or does it sit in HR? I'm, I'm not sure it matters or both, um, but I think you have to define it for your organization. And also you know, things like sales order processing, does, does that sit in customer services or does that sit in finance? Um, so it's really important to define you know, what are those processes that make up finance and then to establish exactly what roles do they relate to. So which of these are kind of corporate roles around strategy, direction and leadership? Which of these are around um, you know, roles that relate to uh, business partnering? Which of these are centers of expertise? And then which of these are more transactional by nature? and supportive and could be done anywhere versus the ones that are more required to be in a particular location because of regulatory legal requirements. So I think building that what is then important, then the next question you try and answer is the how. So you built your vision for finance. Well, how the hell do you get there? So what do you need in terms of technology? What do you need in terms of governance models? What do you need in terms of mandate from your leadership team
0: to, okay.
1: enable, exactly, to enable finance to get there? And then I think the last two questions are really the where uh, and the when. Um, the where is, well, where should we be based um, from a finance perspective? Um, should we be centralized? Should we be decentralized? Should we have shared services in place? Should we be part of something bigger? Or should it just be uh, close to the CFO? I think that where we is really important. How do we deal with you know the whole onset of remote working and having a workforce that maybe doesn't want to come into the office every day? Um, and you know, do we encourage that? Do we embrace that? Or actually, should we um, discourage that? So I think there's some big questions around where, uh, and then it's really around building a Roadmap to help get you there um, so so that that piece of work is what we we call kind of the vision and strategy of the finance function, and I'm really excited because we see more and more organizations now embracing that um, and moving away from the reactivity that they used to have to be a little bit more proactive today
0: actually I mean I just think that's a great thing. I think it's just more meaningful work if we're more on the front foot rather than guessing all the time and uh, you know what? That's really encouraging that you you feel that that's going on and you see that, Rakesh, because there there there's fundamentally simple questions, but uh, you know maybe we've just been guilty because we've been busy thinking we're doing the right thing by serving the business and reacting all the time that we're obviously doing the right thing. But be doing the right thing really is having a strategy and vision, knowing what we stand for, going through the why, the who, the what, the how, the when, and the where, and and then then I think. We should be able to stand over that and say, yeah, we should be providing value to the organization that way and creating value for them. And what a great, what a great framework. And thank you for, for, for that great advice, distilling it for us. Really appreciate it. No problem. You know, you know, Rakesh, you've given us so much great advice there. I was curious, what's been the best bit of advice you've ever received? Oh, that's a,
1: that's a great, that's a great question. I think, I think for me, the best piece of advice I, I received was, based on an African proverb, actually, All right. um, which was, if you want to go fast, um, go it alone. But if you want to go far, make sure you do it together. Wow. Uh, and that, that really resonated with me because um, I think early mm. on in my career, um, when I wanted to achieve something um, <laughs> at pace, um, i would I would not always involve all of the people around me because yeah. I felt they were maybe not able to operate at the same pace, and that would frustrate me and I would want to get things moving and uh, move things forward. so I think that mm-hmm. advice really helped me um, because I recognize actually by taking that approach, I can only go so far um, and you know by taking the team. And, you know, in a broader sense, uh, organizations with you when you t- go through this journey, um, I think that becomes a lot more powerful. And I think I've, I've taken that into my work as well. So, you know, when we talk to finance leaders, it's also around you know, involving the business to make sure that they take the whole organization across a finance change program rather than just, you know, finance trying to go it alone. So um, that's probably the best piece of advice uh, I ever received.
0: It's it's very powerful. And it really, when you said that really resonated with me too, Rakesh. Um, <laughs> I, think I would have had a much easier life if I'd realized the importance of moving together as, a, a, as to a, a loan when I, I started out in finance. Um, it may seem efficient at the time, but if you want effectiveness over the long run, um, collaboration, bringing people like, along with you and helping people achieve their potential will only deserve to, to accelerate um, towards the end game. Exactly. You, you can only go
1: so far if you try and go it alone. And, and I think that was a, that was a good learning for me early on in my career.
0: Yeah, not that. Uh, yeah, I I just wish I had that bit of advice sooner myself. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that's okay. catch. Um, and I suppose uh, you know, continuing with that theme, are there any sort of resources you tend to go to? Any books that you might recommend our audience check out that might help them on their journey? Great
1: question. So um, I think I think I'm I'm a big reader of strategy books because I think a lot of what can be applied um, in terms of growing small businesses to big businesses also apply to change environments for finance functions. So um, I would recommend, um, you know, books-wise, Good to Great, I think, is a great book, um, and Traction. Um, so you know, those are those are two um, resources that I think I've leveraged. But I think the other resources and probably the most important one for me is building a network of people that you can trust and rely on and, and actually listening to that network. Um, So, you know, personally I have, I have a couple of coaches that I used, um, but I also talk to people and, and understand, um, you know, the, what they're going through, but also how some of our approaches and my personal approaches, how they've impacted people. So I think I'm I'm always learning. Um, so, so I would encourage a bit of book reading. I would definitely encourage um, getting yourself a coach. Um, so I think um, even in your finance careers, um, to take, you know, no matter how experienced you are, I think a coach can add so much value in helping you understand, you know, different concepts, different ways of working, and also the impact of, some of the things that you may do that you think are are the right thing to do.
0: Mm-hmm. Definitely, definitely. I think I'd look, and again, I think like like the other guest mentors that have come onto the show, Rakesh. You know, you've shared some really great advice that get people a lot of the way. But I I do feel that that having a coach would give listeners that that added benefit um, and and focus that, you know, as much as I think the podcasts are great and whatever, I have to say that obviously because we found them and do them and they are <laughs> brilliant. But um, but but no, I do think that's a very important point you make about um, a coach and I really appreciate you being open enough to, to share that with our audience.
1: Yeah, I, I, you know, I think, I think, again, it's very easy to be running in a particular direction um, without stopping to look around every once in a while. Um, so I think having a coach as much as, you know, they're providing you with some external insight is also stopping and really thinking about um, where you are in your career, what you're doing, how you're approaching things and assessing actually, rather than making the same mistakes again, you know, are there things that you could be doing differently? So yeah, I, I, find that, I find that always as, you know, we hark on about continuous improvement in terms of processes I think having a coach is a real important way of continually improving yourself. Yeah.
0: Well, I mean, like, um, I think all the best athletes in the world, if, if, if you want to get any meaningful return from their investment of time and effort, I think they all have coaches. Exactly. I'd be surprised if none of them did. So exactly. Treat yourself as a
1: high performance athlete. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah, I I wish I did that with my eating and my diet. Um, (laughs) I have some ways to go. Yeah, you and me both.
1: Yeah, I, I,
0: yeah, I, I, I said it's probably. I always use the excuses in finance, so coffee and uh, and high sugar sugar diet. But um, yeah, need to need to improve there. So uh, <laughs> and I do think the coach will help. So uh, thanks for i And uh, look, uh, really appreciate uh, what you have shared there. And uh, if our audience wish to continue the conversation further, how's the best way to connect with you? yeah
1: so they can connect with me via linkedin um i'm i'm quite active on linkedin so feel free to reach out and then um if you want my email address just ask for it um and happy to set up a, a conversation if it if it
0: works excellent thanks rakesh yeah and i love the little tidbits you throw out there on linkedin um <laughs> last one about the uh, five prediction of rpa was very controversial got a lot of comments and likes. So. Uh, I thoroughly recommend our audience definitely go check out your profile and your posts and um I suppose in ter- terms of before we wrap up, would you have any other parting thoughts for our audience?
1: um I think just before we wrap up, I think the only parting thought I would have um just repeating something I said earlier, finance is undertaking so much change um it's really important to Um, not be afraid of maybe some of the ambiguity that you may find because um, I think to be successful in finance in the future you really need to have a mentality around better never stops and look to improve the ways of working uh, across the, the finance function but also the rest of the business. So I think my parting words would be better never stops in finance.
0: What what a great way to wrap the show up, Rakesh. So thank you for doing that. And again, thank you for going through the background between practitioner-led consulting and the differences between the traditional. I love the way you flipped the pyramid up on its head. The, the chat we had about digitalization and also breaking down the strategy and vision that more of us are embracing into those sort of six key questions. So really enjoyed having you on the show today. Thanks for investing your time with us. That's
1: my pleasure, Andrew.